Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, and we are on location in the Dominican Republic, uh, where we are observing the uh, judging for the One Show and the ADC Awards. And I am so pleased to be joined by Ray Shaughnessy, a creative director with Widen & Kennedy London. Ray, thanks so much for making time for us. It's my pleasure. Uh, So first, uh, tell us... I assume you've done you've done quite a few juries over your time. I've done a, I've done a few. I did one show maybe three years ago, um, and I think I was talking to somebody else about this the other day. That I think you shouldn't do too many because I think you might go a little bit dead inside. <laughs> <laughs> because when you, you you look at so much work that you have to remind yourself that you have to feel something about it at the same time, and sometimes there's just this complete overload and I think if you were doing like two or three juries a year I don't know how you do it I don't know how you stay fresh to the work yeah we, we were talking uh with some folks last night about it at some point you almost become like a professional juror right and the, and yeah there's a danger to that because you stop being you're, you're not you're on these juries to bring your professional mm. uh, perspectives to it and to bring you know maybe what's the way that you guys look at things at, at Widen London versus, you know, in a room, you start to get a little homogenous when you're all in a room together too often. Definitely, definitely. And I do, when I did, when I did one show a few years ago, I remember finding it quite weird that we didn't talk until the very last day about the work. And then actually you go on enough other juries to see that when there's that really hard lobbying for stuff, that it can change the whole room. So I think it's a good thing. I think ultimately it's a fairer way of doing things. Yeah, that's the thing that I don't think a lot of people realize this, that I'm sure every award show is different, but that a lot of judging, to your point, is done in those early phases. It's, um, it's about placing votes almost through a system or anonymously and quietly and just kind of winnowing the list down to something you can work with. Uh, which, which part do you enjoy the most? The kind of just watching the work and being able to quietly... <laughs> kind of contribute or do you really enjoy do you weigh in a lot when it comes down to the discussion phase blimey I th- do you know I just really like seeing work that I haven't seen from around the world so 
we were looking at some stuff yesterday and there was work from Thailand and there was work from Japan and I hadn't seen any of it. And that's the bit that I think is really exciting because you just, you, you just can't take in that many ads in your normal everyday life, you know? That's, that's the bit that I really like. So what do you think are the, you know, there's obviously always a lot of debate, especially in recent years, about the value of award shows, whether the industry and especially the creative side of the industry puts too much value into award shows. But what, what do you think is the, are the real positive sides of creative awards? Um, I think somebody, you know, Kevin Swanepoel, who, and I probably haven't pronounced that right, who runs one show, <clears throat> when he did the briefing at the start, he said this really kind of profound thing about, and be really careful about how you mark because you can change somebody's career. And I thought, yeah, blimey, you know, ultimately that is the thing that I think it does. I think it gives you a platform that you might not necessarily ever have had. And the, are there things that we should value more and, and I should note that Widen as an agency, as a network has really pushed this conversation forward probably more than almost any other, except maybe publicist, which of course backed out of all award shows for an entire year. But, but at the time, uh, Colleen DeCourcy uh, talked to us about the fact that Wyden almost did the exact same thing, you know, almost took a year off from awards, not necessarily to save money, but to, uh, you know, just find another way to reward creatives that wasn't just kind of the same thing every year, awarding the same kind of work, um, and to get away from that traps. Uh, what, what should the creatives be in the industry be focused on other than awards? I, I mean, like, honestly, what Colleen says is absolutely true. I don't think I've ever been in a conversation at Widens where the, the focus of making good work was to get an award at the end of it. And I think you make good work for the sake of making good work and pushing things in a way that you haven't been able to push them before. And that's obviously not always possible on every single bit of work, but you'll always get something out of it. Uh, like, ultimately, that's what you should be aiming for. I just, I just think, it's, I think it's really sad if you're just hunting the award down. We, we did a special episode uh, about breaking two, the, the effort that Wyden did with Nike and Dirty Robber to try to break the two-hour mark on marathons. And I remember that one was really fascinating because it was, it was straight up snubbed at Cannes. Mm. Uh, I, don't think it, it, I don't think it was even shortlisted for a titanium, mm. uh, which seemed bizarre to me. Um, but also talking to Nike on that, you know, podcast, they talked about this thing has had massive impact for us about yeah. our product development, yeah. our, the way we approach marketing, the way we engage with the marathon community. Uh, and, and that one to me is a real case study in it, it, in this case, it actually didn't win awards, but it had a huge impact on the client business and the way they approach product development. Yeah, I think, you know, when you're, when you're sitting in a room with clients or potential clients, you don't show that work and talk about the awards that you got for it. You talk about what it did for you. And I think that that means different things in different ways. So your Nike example is one thing. We've had the Formula One account for three years. And I think like our number one thing was to make sure that we kept fans happy so that they understood that when Liberty Media took over, that the racing was going to be taken care of. And that was our first port of call. So we did this rebrand. Race fans were crazy, hated it. <laughs> and then within a year, us really paying attention to the thing that they love the most and making sure that they felt that raw energy again of racing, that, that meant that we were keeping this huge kind of fan population happy. And 
we didn't enter loads of awards for that stuff, you know. Other people might look at it and say, are you just making kind of montage ads? And it, it, there was something about the way that we were able to just kind of grab the energy of what F1 is about. And, and they're the things that the client understands, like that's the job that you've done. It's like our, our first port of call is to keep those people happy and look what it does for our business. And then we can think about kind of growing. So you can't capture all that stuff in awards. And there's some stuff that you just are never going to enter awards for because it doesn't do that. So yeah, they're, they're a funny old thing, aren't they? They're a funny thing. And I think even for the people who say, oh, bloody hell, I really hate awards. When you walk up to the stage and you get given one, you don't feel so bad about it. <laughs> they don't just throw it on the ground and walk <laughs> no, away. <laughs> totally not. But it's worth saying that, especially at our place, um, they're really, really mindful about how much stuff goes in. Like lots of people asking here, oh, what, you know, what's gone in from London? And I think maybe two bits. I've hardly seen anything. And that's not because we don't value it. It's because we just go, okay this is the thing that we're going to kind of take a punt on rather than just everything. Yeah, I feel like London, Wyden London, is one of the quietest offices, which is not obviously a statement about the quality of the work you do, but I feel like it's one that, that you know, obviously in America we've got Portland and New York has been on a huge creative tear uh, the last few years of, of really cranking out tons of high-profile work with Dilly Dilly for Bud Light and uh, tons of other work. Uh, but how do you, what do you say, is it in uh, kind of like why Amsterdam has this very specific atmosphere and kind of focus on I innovation and, and but how would you, what would you say defines Widen London? Awkward Brits. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think um, it's, you know, you've got your head down, you're just trying to do good stuff and I, I don't, I don't know what it is. I mean, I've been to a couple of different offices around the network and I think that there is something that is essentially the same in all of them and I think that it's all of the stuff that people say nice things about but in the end all the different offices have to have a feeling of where they are and we're in London and we're awkward Brits and maybe that's the thing that is the different thing I don't know we're um, you know that's so why I'm doing a podcast rather than a video because <laughs> there's, I, d I don't know, there's just something yeah, I should I should tell everybody you're wearing a very wide <laughs> floppy hat that covers your whole face. You've got huge sunglasses. Can't, no, I'm just kidding. The, um, let's talk about you started to segue perfectly to Formula One because I did want to talk about that. You just rolled out uh, some really fascinating sonic mm. branding, uh, which used to be a term I kind of hated because people used it when what they really meant was we licensed a jingle or whatever, you know? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, but this yeah, is yeah. maybe the most legitimate use of the term uh, sonic branding. Tell us, because um, I, I don't want to give away the concept for those who, who haven't seen it, but tell us how you developed the kind of the three-second sonic branding for F1. So this, this season is the season of a thousand races for Formula One. Well, like I said, that's an interesting moment in their history for them. And we've done lots of, um, lots of exciting work for them. You know, as we've been taking, you have to think of them essentially as a startup. So Bernie Eccleston never had a marketing department. So when Liberty Media bought it, um, they 
Ellie Norman, who used to be our client at Honda, she took over as head of marketing. And that's essentially, what, three years old. So that is exciting already. So then when you get this account that has got this thing that is this massive opportunity, but also these years and years of history, you have to almost like work out when and how you tell those stories. So Season of a Thousandth Race gave us this opportunity to talk about this thing that Formula One uniquely has, which is that progress is made in milliseconds, that it's almost like these infinitesimal gains for this huge amount of work that everybody puts into it. We were really excited by this thought. Also, that in every single rev that you hear, every time you hear a Formula One car, that's essentially what you're hearing. You're hearing all of these years of kind of history and progress. Um, when you, uh, the season is a long season for Formula One fans out there, that's a joy, but it's like nine months of racing. And so we always need to track for it. So we thought, we wondered whether there was something that we could do with this idea of how could we crush down this sense of history? And so this idea of um, a remix track from the track that is for the season, Chemical Brothers, a track called We've Got to Try from their latest album. And then it was remixed to be 15,000 RPM, which matches, uh, no, B BPM, which matches the RPM of um, a car, Formula One car. Yeah, I don't think Americans maybe realize how much faster Formula One is than NASCAR, which is what we think of when we think of racing. And that's just like slight, you know, faster versions of normal cars. An F1 car is a rocket ship pinned to the earth. Oh, 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 it's, it's so intense. We did a track day. And um, although I'm the CD on Formula One, I can't even drive. <laughs> um, and I was driven round the track, and I think we went at 155 miles per hour. And honestly, my heart was in my guts. It, and that's just nothing. They're 200 miles per hour. So this, this thing, this exciting thing of just being able to crush all, all that down into this idea of this sound, which is called the Num, which... Formula One fans have also gone, uh, I think it's a meow, actually, or a new, you know, everybody's got like their take on it. Is that just the sound? Because I've seen that word in the name of yeah. the track. Is yeah. that just the sound that a Formula One car makes? Exactly. We were like, <laughs> you can imagine, it's like the conversations that you don't want anyone ever to hear when you're doing the noises back and forth to each other about what is the sound of it. So, uh, yeah. It's like so trying we, to impersonate the Netflix noise or something. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly that it's like when you it's those moments where you think please never let there be a, a film camera ever seeing anything like this so we settled on Nium and the brilliant thing was when we were looking for music partners Chemical Brothers are real fans they're Formula One fans so it was like this really lovely moment of all of this stuff coming together um, it's been a really exciting project and, and like honestly probably the best thing is is uh, without kind of blowing too much smoke up anyone's bums. We have, we've just got really brilliant clients at Formula One who understand that to grow this fan base, because they've looked after them now, they understand that, you know, that the racing's going to be okay, but to grow it, you've got to do something different. Let's listen to a little of the original track. Uh, you, is it We've Got to Try? Yeah. And uh, this is a brand new track from Chemical Brothers from their new album. I don't even know if the album's out yet. Um, uh, no, not yet. Soon. And uh, so we'll listen to a little of that first. Yes, I know we can make it go if we just try. 
So that was some of the the full track at its normal speed. Now, now let's listen to it sped up to 15,000 BPM to match the 15,000 RPM of a Formula One car. <laughs> Blink and you have missed the entire song. But you can hear Nyum. <laughs> you can totally hear Nyum. And what, what it is, rather than just being like um, only sped up, we, the, the engineers took the stems of the track so that you can recreate the shape of it so that it makes that kind of car sound. And like you say, that's a new sonic identity and we'll just be using it on lots of different stuff. So I have to know where this, because I, 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 I wrote about this the other day, but I don't know the answer to this. Mm. Did you come up with the idea first and then test it on a, another track to see when we crush it down, does it actually sound like anything? Or how did... You can't, you, you, the thing that we tried, so the... Um, Tom and Liam, who were the creatives, and then Chris Gray as well, brilliant um, designer. So we had this really great team, all excited by this idea of going, you know, Formula One crushed into, you know, three seconds, essentially. And when we sped up tracks first, it literally sounds like a robot dying. Like, it's just, just, you can't listen to it. It's disgusting, disgusting sound. I like the idea that you guys heard that and you're like, no, let's keep going. Yeah. <laughs> we can do this. Like, okay, um, not as simple as we thought. Because I think it's kind of deceptively simple. That it sounds almost like a joke, like you say, when you hear it. Like, it was the most perfect moment when we looked on Spotify and there it was, like three seconds. Yum. Um so that's why there was just a lot of work that went into how do you take all of these stems of music and then kind of create the shape. And also for it to be musical as much as it is a sound. So you've got to have some musicality in there so that you've got that bit of Chemical Brothers as well. Mm -hmm. So honestly, I, th I, think, I think at first people just didn't know what to make of it. And because Formula One fans are so passionate they were literally like, what is this shit? Give us the track from last year. And we were like, do you mean the track that you first hated when you heard it? So, you know, people just need time to get used to it. But it's such an important part of F1, you know, the music. So there will just be some diehards who you put anything out there and they'll just say, the chain. <laughs> just give us Fleetwood Mac again, because that was the track that was used forever in the UK. It's a really good track. It's a great track. Come on, I'm not <laughs> hating on the chain. Um, but this has been this has been a really brilliant moment in um, working on that account. It's been really good. My partner, my work partner, Dan Norris, he's the really big F1 fan. And when we got the account, like for him, it was like a boyhood dream. Um, and so I had to very quickly learn and understand what F1 was all about. And the thing that is at the center of it, like honestly, is just humanity, what human beings can do. I mean, this is a eternal challenge for people in advertising is that we can't always get the accounts that we are personally tremendously knowledgeable and passionate about right out of the gate. Um, sometimes those people are in the pitches, but they don't end up being the ones that get the, you know, that end up running the account. But I don't know, there's strength to that too, right? Oh, yeah. Coming in kind of new to something and helping new audiences discover it. Yeah, totally. And actually, that was Ellie's thing when I sheepishly, Ellie Norman, I sheepishly admitted that I had never watched a Formula One race all the way through. 
And she just said, but that's what we need, because if you want to get new people into the sport, then how, how do you do that? You probably need to talk to the people about, you know, what those barriers are. Feels incredibly male, feels, you know, like a kind of closed off club. Um, so it's been, like you say, that was almost like the best bit of it for me is like discovering this thing that I knew nothing about. Don't ask me for all the rules, though. I can't, I can't give you that kind of detail. <laughs> I'm top line. <laughs> well, Ray Shaughnessy, creative director for Widening Kennedy London. Thank you so much for making time for us. Today. Thank you. Nice to meet you. We'll have a great time judging. Cheers. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.